0: So my story, that's our series over these past few weeks. And the only thing that we want you to grasp is that a story, the story of Jesus, hopefully has intersected your story. Because we believe that when your story intersects the story of Jesus, your life is radically transformed. It transforms your eyes. It transforms your heart. It transforms your life. It changes the legacy and the destiny of your family. And so this morning, we're going to continue that series of my story. And one of the things that I love about what I do and what I get to do is, one, I get to tell stories. I also get to listen to a lot of stories. And usually when I get to listen to those stories, it's over coffee. And so life is really good. I love that. And so this morning, what I want you to do is just imagine with me that you're, we're together and we're just listening to stories. And I have a story to share with you. One of my favorite places that I've ever heard a story was in the remote jungles of Thailand. And I had the fortune of being able to, on a mission trip and serving this uh, people group there. And one of the things they did every single night is they would gather together as a community and they had a central place where they would have a fire and they would throw the wood on there and have a fire and just begin to talk. And the old men in particular would tell stories. There would be laughter, there would be high fives, there would be just this pure enjoyment of stories. And it was, as I was listening in through interpreters, is these guys were telling the stories of when they would go on hunts and when they would do things and accomplish stuff. They're kind of, you know, pounding on their chest a little bit. But then also, they would always close the night by one of the men in the, in the storytelling circle. They would tell their legacy, basically their genealogy, and they would tie it all the way back to Adam. So generation after generation after generation after generation, because they wanted their children to remember that Adam and Jesus was a part of their story. And I think it's important for us to be reminded of that as well as Jesus followers, is that Jesus is a part of our story. So if you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me here in a little bit to 1 Kings chapter 19. And if not, it's up on the screen. And uh, before we get there, a few things you need to know. This is a story about Elijah. Now, Elijah's kind of an interesting guy. He has um, a big story to tell. And so his story is one of mountaintop to lows. And I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced anything like that, where you've gone from mountaintop to low, but um, that is something that happens in life where maybe you've gone to camp or maybe you've been on a mission trip or maybe you've gone to VBS or something like that. I'm putting it in a spiritual context. And so maybe you've been somewhere and you have in that place and in that moment had this experience where you're like, there is not another time or I can't imagine being any closer to God than in this moment. And one of the reasons is because you're secluded, usually you're away, Your, your schedule has changed and then what happens when you come back from camp or you come back from a mission trip or VBS or something like that, you're back to real life. And all of a sudden, this mountaintop experience after a day or two or three days, maybe a week or two weeks, all of a sudden you kind of feel like, man, this is like wearing me down. I wish I could go back to the mountaintop. And that is a lot of the story um, of Elijah, is that he was at this mountaintop experience and experienced something unique between him and God that other people were there to see it. And then just a little bit later, he was challenged and it led him to a valley. So the story of Elijah is this. He was a prophet of God during the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were evil people. As a matter of fact, in the scripture, it tells us that they were the evilest of evil of evil kings and queens. No other king and queen had ever been as evil as these two. And so because of their evilness, God sent Elijah the prophet and said, you need to let them know because of their evil, drought will come on their land. And so for a period of time, there was drought. And so Elijah told King Ahab and Queen Jezebel for a period of time until God determines you will experience no rain, no dew, no moisture until God brings me back to you to say it's time to rain. And so this happens. And so during this time, at the beginning of the drought period, Elijah goes away. He's afraid for his life because Queen Jezebel and King Ahab are not happy about this proclamation, and so they go and hide. So they're actually out trying to kill Elijah and other prophets. So Elijah goes and hides by a brook, and he's there by the brook, and he's drinking from the water, and ravens are bringing him some food, which is kind of a cool thing, unique story. I don't know if that's happened to you. It hasn't happened to me yet. It'll be exciting one day. Maybe that happens. So that's a part of his story. He's getting provided for by God in this moment. And eventually, because the drought lasts for so long, eventually the brook that he's at dries up. So even he is being impacted by the drought personally. And so God comes to him and says, hey, Elijah, I need you to go to the town of Zarephath. And in Zarephath, there's going to be a lady, a widow with a son, and she is going to provide for you. She's going to provide your daily needs until the time of the drought is up. So he makes a short journey to Zarephath, and he meets her. And whenever he meets her, he says, hey, can I have a, a water, some water to drink and or something to drink? And she provides something small. And as she's going to go get it for him, he says, hey, by the way, can I also have a biscuit? This is Chris's interpretation of the original language, okay? So can I have a biscuit? And so he's like, yes. She's like, no. I can give you some milk to drink, but you cannot have a biscuit because when I go and go back after giving you something to drink, I have enough flour and enough oil and enough uh, stuff to make two biscuits, one for me, one for my son, and we're not breaking it in half, which would be our normal response, too. She says, as a matter of fact, this is our last meal. We're preparing to eat this meal and just at some point go away. We're going to die. And so he's like, listen. God has told me, if you will provide for me, he will provide for you daily while I'm with you, and, and your sustenance will never run out. Now, that's pretty much that's an interesting thing. She goes and she does it. She makes biscuits. She makes three biscuits, but she only had enough material for two, which may have given her some confidence. I don't know. And so for every single day, For the length of time that he is with her, Elijah is with her in the sun, every single day there's enough flour and enough oil just for that day to provide to care for their needs. At some point during this time, her son becomes sick and actually dies. Of course, now she's distraught. She says, I thought you came here to be a blessing to me, not a curse. Why would my son die while a man of God is with me? So Elijah takes up the son, takes him into the house and places him on a bed and prays for him three times. And after the third time, the son gets up and walks out and says, hey, mom, I need another biscuit. Again, an interesting story. And she realizes in that moment that even in the depths of her pain, that Elijah, the man of God, was there. It seemed like a curse, but it was actually a blessing. So after three years, three years. Elijah got a word from the Lord and he was to go to King Ahab and to tell him, hey, now's the time that the drought is about to break. But before the drought's going to break, you and I need to have a shootout at the OK Corral at the top of Mount Carmel. And so Ahab is is here's this word from Obadiah, because that's who Elisha had went to. So Elijah or Elijah went to And so Elijah is talking to Obadiah, and unbeknownst to him, Obadiah is actually a person of peace. And what I mean by that is a person of peace was there were other prophets that were within the kingdom, that were being pursued to be killed because Queen Jezebel and King Ahab could not find Elijah this entire time. So they took out their wrath on other prophets. So during this season of drought, because of the drought, because of the proclamation of Elijah, they were seeking out other prophets, killing them. So Elijah had good reason to hide, number one, but Obadiah as a person of peace was hiding prophets. He was finding caves in different places and putting them away and providing for them. And so... Here Elijah comes, talks to Obadiah, and and finds out that Obadiah is a person of peace. He doesn't know that he's been hiding people, but he's a person of peace. And Obadiah goes to King Ahab and says, hey, Ahab, that guy we've been searching for, Elijah, came to me and he said he wants to meet you face to face. Imagine King Ahab's like... I've got this guy. He thinks it's just going to be me and me. But, you know, those guys that are crooked, they have other people hanging out in the woods. They're ready to take you out. You think it's one-on-one, but it's a multitude against one. Elijah says, hey, let's meet on top of Mount Carmel. You bring your 450 prophets of Baal. You bring your 400 prophets of Asherah. I'm going to be me, the one prophet of Yahweh that's here. We're going to meet on the top of Mount Carmel, and we're going to have an okay corral showdown. As a matter of fact, you invite the entire nation to come and sit and watch what's going to happen. And so that's what takes place. On top of Mount Carmel, early in the morning one day, the prophets of Asherah, the prophets of Baal, almost 900 of them, Put together an altar, and in putting together the altar, they killed a fatted calf, put the wood down, do all the different things that you would do for a sacrifice. Early in the morning, they begin the process of praying and calling out to their God. Now, the God of Baal was a God of fertility and a God of rain. Okay? So, interestingly enough, God has a great sense of humor. So, the very God that has they've been calling out to for three years for fertility and for rain is the God that they're now in front of everybody calling out to. Okay? So these prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah are calling out to him and saying, hey, you haven't brought rain for the past three plus years. Now we want you to show your face. And so they have this, this deal that they're doing, all the little chants and things, and it gets louder and louder throughout the day. And then lunchtime comes and nothing has happened for the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. Now, again, here's one of the interesting things. In the original language, here's what here's what Elijah says to the other prophets. He says, hey, your God must be so busy doing his business that he can't pay attention to you. Okay? So you know what I mean by business? Okay. All right. So busy doing your his business that he's reading articles, he cannot be paying attention to you. That's the God that you've been calling on. So he lets him do this for the rest of the afternoon. And then about the time that the sun goes down, when it's the normal time for Elijah to do what he does and offer sacrifices to Yahweh, he calls him. He says, enough. Obviously, your God is too busy to hear you and for you to call on. It's now my turn. And so he asked the people, hey, let's put a fatted calf here, let's put the wood, and he took 12 stones, which were symbolic of the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, and he set them there, and he reestablished an altar that had been used before, but that had been forgotten by the people over time, and so he reestablished that altar. And he said to them, I want you to recognize that Yahweh is the true God so much, and he wants you to recognize that, that we're not going to just do this. I want you to know, hey, in a season of drought, go down to the sea, which is not too far away, grab some of that seawater, bring it, and pour it over this, drench it, soak it, saturate it. And they had a moat, and the moat was filled up with water. He says, I want you to understand that when I pray to God, it is not me, it's not a magic trick, but it's God himself. Doing what he does. And so in that moment, they did all that stuff, did all the preparation. So this thing is soaping, soaping, soaking wet. And he prays. And it's a prayer similar to one that Jesus prayed. And he says this. Yahweh, which is the name I am. I am. I'm praying not for myself, but for these people. So that they will know that you are the I am. The God of Israel, the God of the Hebrew people, the God that has brought us out of slavery into freedom. I want them to know and be reminded that you are the God above all other gods. This God Baal that they've been worshiping hasn't provided rain and hasn't provided the fertility that they're supposed to have. God, I want them to know that it's you and you alone. God, would you bring down fire from heaven? And immediately, bam. A fire from heaven comes down and takes up the entire offering. Not just the cow, not just the wood, the stones, everything around was consumed and gone. And everybody began to worship. The people that had been watching, remember, a people had gathered throughout the day and were watching. And they were waiting, anticipating that the Baal, the Baal God was going to do something, but he did it. And so all of a sudden now Yahweh God, the I Am God, responds and does something. People are like, Yes! Now we're reminded of the power of our God, and Elijah says, take care of these false prophets. And so they take care of them. Well, King Ahab is there. He's freaking out. What just happened? Now I've got to go back and tell Queen Jezebel, and Queen Jezebel is not in a good mood ever. And now I've got to go tell her this. And so he gets on the chariot, he's going down, and he begins to tell her, And Elijah is so fired up about this that it says that the hand of the Lord was upon him and he moved him to run so fast that he passed up the chariot and was down in the town that he was going to and had a Starbucks and was like, would you like cream with that? And that's how fast. He was down there waiting. The power of God was upon him and he moved down in that moment. Here's an interesting thing. Ahab appears to Queen Jezebel and says, hey, you weren't on the mountains with me. And this is what happened. Those prophets that you've been talking about, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asher that we've been pushing, they could not withstand the power and the presence of the I Am. The I Am responded and took away the entire altar and the sacrifice. She became angry, like angry. Now remember, before she had put out a proclamation to kill all the prophets, Now, she said, you go tell that Elijah, dude, he has ticked me off even more. And I will set loose everything I can within my power. I will find him and I will kill him. There will not be a prophet of the I am alive if it's the last thing I do. So Elijah gets that word. And what's he do? What would you do? Maybe. Elijah, I think a lot of us, we would be like, Look what God did up on the mountain, me and God. And we'd go, come on, Jezebel, come on. I think that's what a lot of us would do if we're honest with ourselves. In that moment, a mountaintop experience being like, you're just Jezebel, come on. I just took out 850 prophets, just you. But because he felt alone, he felt like there was no one that had his back but himself, he was afraid and ran off. Can y'all do me a favor and pop up the, the words for me? My deal's not working. So Elijah ran off, okay? And where does he go? He goes and hides. And in the midst of hiding, what's he doing? In that moment, again, food comes to him and all of that. But because in that moment of hiding, he's afraid and his heart has been changed in that. So excuse me for a second. <clears throat> Push forward here. Sorry. I'll get it. It's just the verses. We're good. Let me go back. All right. Here we go. So 1 Kings chapter 19 starting in verse 3. All right. So Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He went from mountaintop experience to the lows. Then what happens? Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now, wait a second. He had just experienced the mountaintop high, and now because this person has issued a decree against him, he runs away, goes to a solitary place and says he hopes to die. I have had enough, Lord. Does that sound like us? How quickly we go from here to here with a little bit of an enemy attack, a little bit of something that kind of goes against us, and we've been moving. Things seem to be easy, and then all of a sudden it gets hard, and we're like, I've had enough. What's the next thing he says? Take my life, for I'm no better than the ancestors ahead of me. This is depression. This is loneliness. This is the anxiety from that moment leading him to run away. And again, he thinks he's the only one that's a prophet of God. He thinks he's the only one that knows that I am as the I am, That only one that's strong enough to stand up. So then he lays down and he sleeps under the broom tree. If you know anything about depression, any of that, that as you struggle with depression, it's enough to just get up. Sleeping is something that you just do because that's what your body is doing. You're just so tired and it takes everything. It's just literally this idea of I've had enough. And so here Elijah is under the broom tree. But as he's sleeping, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat, continually providing for his needs. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Again, he's provided for just like the ravens have provided him before him at the beginning of the drought. Now he's in the midst of depression and God is there with him. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up, eat some more, and go on the journey ahead because it's going to be too much for you if you don't eat. I have work for you to do. I think this is one of the things that God wants us to understand and hear from the story is that there are going to be seasons that are tougher than other seasons. We may go from a mountaintop experience to a valley season, and it's a season that he's going to be walking with us, but he is there with us, providing sustenance for us, and we'll see that he has specific question for us every single day as followers of Jesus that he wants us to answer. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and for and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. Does that sound familiar? A spiritual journey, right? This walking in the wilderness, this pursuit, this long walk to this place. And where's he going? He's going to be going to the Mount Sinai where he knows God has shown up before. Not Mount Carmel, but Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. So he has a knowledge and understanding of this is where God has been before, and so he's returning to that place. He didn't go back to Mount Carmel, but Mount Sinai. And again, that's our tendency is to go back to places where we've had an experience with God before. We remember it's a good experience. It's a good thing. And we think that we can recapture that experience. But God says, listen, I have something else for you over here. But in our struggles of when we think we've had enough, when we're struggling at the end, we're depressed, we're alone. We have a tendency to go back to places and they're good. But God wants to move us from those places. And so here he is at the mountain of God with Mount Sinai. And he gets get in the Word, and there he came to a cave. Again, he wants to hide out. He spends the night in that place. He sleeps. He rests. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I think that's the question for us. What are you doing here? That there are these moments and these seasons where we're struggling. We're in the deep valleys. And that God whispers to us, what are you doing here? Why are you back? at a place before when I have you doing something else. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. That's a lie, isn't it? There's other prophets that have been stashed away. Obadiah has been a person of peace. He's put other prophets around. There are other, as it tells us a little bit later, there are 7,000 other people that stand with the I am that would stand with Elijah. But because of his depression, because of where he's at in this moment, he is the one that feels like I am alone. There's no one else that is going through life situations and circumstances like mine. Yes, I know they're close or whatever, but no one knows my stuff. And is experiencing what I have experienced. And that is depression. That is loneliness. That is part of that for him is there's a lie. That he is not enough. That God is not enough. And that he is alone. And so I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. Which is true. Go out then, the God talking. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there. And the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible storm, that blast, that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Originally, the word is that it was so quiet. That you have to strain to listen, that you had to strain to listen, that you had to put out all other distractions to listen to this. And so the scripture here is, is that in that moment Elijah had to strain and listen, and through that the Lord showed up in a gentle whisper. And what's it say? When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his cloak around his face. He goes out, and the voice said, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" He'd already asked him that. Now he's asking them again, why are you here? I have a purpose for you. I have stuff for you to do. And you've come back to this place. Why are you here? And what's Elijah do? He's still in his situation. He, said, he repeats the same thing. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken, down their, co- broken their covenant with you and torn down the altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He's still struggling with, it's all me. God, why don't you protect me? Why don't you care for me? No one else has done and walked through this situation. Why am I here? And then the Lord says to him, go back the same way. Go back to where you've come. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And then I've got a job for you. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. Also, I want you to anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. These are some cool names. He's giving him a job to do. He's setting up the political things and giving him that. And then he also gives them, here's their spiritual task, anoint Elisha. Anoint the one that's going to take your place, son of Shaphat from the town of, you announced that at your own time, to replace you as my prophet. Here's the thing that God reminds Elijah of in this moment is you still have purpose, you still have value, and part of your purpose and value is is that you have a legacy of continuing to train and to raise up and to pour your life into other people. Other people still need you. Why are you here, Elijah? Because people still need you. The same is true for us. You've been in the cave you've been under a tree by yourself, alone, asking that question, why? Why is it me? And we kind of get in those moments of depression and, and dealing with stuff. And listen, depression is a difficult thing. And there's different seasons, there's different depths of it. And for all of us, if you've experienced it, or you've personally, or you know people that have experienced, it is a difficult thing and is a difficult place to get out of. And that Many times the only way they can get out is a calling from God to move out of that place to a new task and a new purpose and reminded of the fact of why you are here and the reason that you are here is because people need you. You have a job to do, you have a task to do, but more importantly, people need you. They need you to invest in them and to leave a legacy for them, a life-giving legacy. Our challenge for you this morning, no matter where you're at, You may be at the mountaintop and thinking, man, life is so good, it's so easy, can't be bad. And then maybe you're in the valley or maybe you're somewhere in between. The question for you is this, is why are you here? What's your story? What's the dash of your life going to be? That's the question that God was asking Elijah in that moment, is what is your dash? Your dash, Elijah is more than even this experience at Mount Carmel. I have more for you than even this. Your task, your job is not done, and people still need you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us in this room hear this clearly from you this morning. You are not done with us yet, no matter the season of life that we're in. And Father, that maybe even in this season of, maybe we're in a season of loneliness and depression, that maybe that this is the word for them as they need to hear that question, why are you here? And Lord, your answer is always, I'm not done with you yet. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. There's people that need you. I need you. We are not done doing our work together. Father, I pray if someone's in that deep, low place, that this is a a moment of encouragement. Father, for us in this room, that maybe we have friends and family that are in this place, that it's a word of encouragement that we can pass on. Father, as a community, to love on each other and continue to tell each other you are worthy you have great value and god is not done with you yet we need you keep up the work even if you feel like you're the only one you are not alone father may you call on our hearts may we know that we know that we know that we are not alone in you it's in your son's name that we pray amen